It was two nights before Christmas. And it was in the year was 1997. Now, I don't think any of you were born in 1997. Probably not. That was 21 years ago. That was the year my family moved to Kentucky. But this didn't happen in Kentucky. This happened actually in Fairfax County, Virginia. Nicole was 12 years old. And her family had just come back from shopping. They were, they were out shopping for, you know how just before Christmas, a lot of times you got to think of those last Christmas presents, those last things you have to buy before Christmas. And they were out shopping and she had been staying with her grandparents. So she and her grandma and her great aunt and her great uncle were all out shopping. But grandpa wasn't feeling well. So they left grandpa and back at the house and it was late. And as they came back, they came around the bend and they saw the house and they were just pulling up in the driveway and they saw the smoke. The smoke was billowing out of the house. Someone had left a candle burning there in the house before they went shopping. And that candle had started the house on fire. And the smoke was billowing out and everyone started saying, what do you think they started saying? Where's Grandpa? Where's Grandpa? He was in the house just before we left. And so some people went in and tried, some of the relatives went in and tried to find Grandpa, but they couldn't find Poppy. They couldn't find him anywhere. And 12-year-old Nicole was standing there and her great-aunt was holding on to her and she was watching the house burn and she thought, what if Poppy's still in the house? He'll get burned up in the house. And now, she did something that you all should, you shouldn't do. She struggled out and she ran away from her great aunt and she ran straight into the front door of the house. And as soon as she ran in the house, the smoke was just everywhere and she started coughing. <coughs> and she ran back outside. She couldn't go in, but she had to go in. She said, what if Poppy is burning up right now? And she put her hand over her mouth and she went in the house, and she went and she looked over by the Christmas tree. And there, laying on the floor by the Christmas tree, looked like a pile of clothes, you know. And she thought, well, there's not supposed to be clothes over by the Christmas tree. And she reached down to touch it, and she heard, oh, she heard her. It was Poppy. He was he wasn't unconscious, but he was laying there by the Christmas tree. And she screamed, and her great-uncle ran in and dragged Poppy outside. And they all made it outside to safety. Now, Poppy was unconscious, and some of the relatives started, you know, doing the CPR. You've ever seen that, maybe in the in the movie somewhere, maybe doing someone doing CPR on someone. And they started doing that, and pretty soon the fire trucks came, and they put the fire out. And the ambulance came, and they took Poppy to the hospital. And Poppy got better, and he was fine. He he was unconscious, but if he had been in the house much longer, he would have died. And you know, that Christmas morning, when they went to look at the house, there wasn't much left. And they looked at the Christmas tree, and it was just all charred and burned. And they looked under the Christmas tree, and all those presents that were under the Christmas tree were all burned up. But do you think they were sad? They were a little bit sad, but they weren't very sad. In fact, they were really happy because the whole family was together and even Poppy, and Poppy was just fine. 
And all of Nicole's friends said, Nicole, you're a hero. You're a hero because you saved Poppy. But you know what Nicole said? Nicole says, I don't think I'm a hero. I love my grandpa. And if you really love someone, you would go in. Now, I don't recommend that you go running inside a burning house because that's not a good idea. But do you have to think about that? Nicole, even though she knew she might die in that house because she loved her grandpa so much, she went in. What would you do for someone that you love? You can go back to your seats now. If you really love someone, I ask you today, what wouldn't you do for someone that you love? Nicole risked her life to save her grandfather. It was because of her love. She dared to go in even at the risk of her life. You know, over the past few weeks, we've looked at several aspects of the Christian life. Several weeks ago, we looked at this thing that we call faith. This thing that gives us eyes to see the unseen. It reaches back to our past. And not only that, it reaches up and connects us with the invisible God of heaven, like Christina was sharing about in the Sabbath school class. We talked about faith, yes. We also talked about the reality of hope. As faith reaches back to the past and reaches up to God, hope reaches out to the future and connects us with an assurance that we will have a better future. Faith, yes, and hope. But as we read in our scripture reading, that is not all. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13. And now abide faith, hope, and love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. What is love? These days we use the word love for so many things. I love my parents and I love pizza. I love the church and I love chili. I love my wife and I love fast Wi-Fi. We throw this word around like it's a 10-cent cliché, but what does it mean? You know, in the church, I have to be really careful with this topic of love. You know, and I've heard this criticism before. What did the preacher talk about? Oh, we talked about love. He always talks about love. As if love were some kind of a cotton candy, feel-good gospel vibe, you know, that, that takes the place of all truth and spirituality. A kind of, if you will, ecumenical opiate. A hush word to use whenever anyone brings up controversy or, or doctrine or differences. Shh. Nobody's perfect. We all just have to love everybody. Is that love? What is love? We all like it. We all say we want it, but there's so many different things that pass as love nowadays. Almost nobody can really define it. Now, if we open the scriptures, it becomes clear that love, whatever it is, is at the center of Jesus' teachings. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 22, verses 35 through 39. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. 
on these two commandments. Love God and love your neighbor. Love, whatever it is, is at the center of God's law. But what is love? Now, I asked you last week, this is a review, what language was the New Testament written in? What language was this written in? These words. In Greek, right? Now, in the Greek language, it's very interesting when you study the word love. Because in the English language, we have one word, love, and it means all kinds of things, like I just showed you. But in the Greek language, there's actually four distinct words, each one that is translated often as the word love in the English language. Perhaps the first and the most common one is the word phileo. That's where we get the name Philadelphia. Phileo means affection or, or as it were, brotherly love, friendly love, friendliness, friendship. And it's a very common kind of, you know, we can be friends, we have love for each other, but it is a phileo kind of love. And that's the, that's the first kind of love. But there's an even stronger type of love, and that is what we call storge. Now, storge is the kind of love that we have between a parent and a child, between family members. It's a very strong and passionate love. I will do something for my wife, or I'll do something for my mom or my brother that I won't necessarily do for just any one of you, as much as I love you, because they are my family. And there is a there is an affection, there is a, a, a love that is incredibly strong. Now, sometimes family members can be alienated, but generally speaking, there's a strong, strong love between those family members. But it's an instinctive love. It's a natural love. It's built into the heart of a mother to love her child, right? Storge, the kind of love between family members. Now, there's another kind of love, and this word actually is never mentioned in the New Testament, but it's uh, probably one of the most prevalent in our society today, eros. It's the Greek word for romance or passionate love or even sexual love. Like I said, it's not found in the New Testament, but uh, in the Greek culture, it was very, very prevalent. And you have all kinds of the Greek mythology surrounding love talking about eros. In fact, in the English language, we get the word erotic from that word eros in the, in the Greek. It's a very, very strong, very powerful type of love. But as any of you probably knows, it's not necessarily a lasting love. You can have a, a lot of passion between a boy and a girl, and a few years later, they may be married, but then they may end up in a divorce. And how many, how many marriages today end in divorce? And I would submit to you one of the reasons is that they're based on this eros kind of love, this passion, this attraction that as strong as it is, does not last forever. Because nothing that originates in our human hearts can last forever. So you have phileo, which is brotherly love. You have storge, which is family love. You have eros, which is the, the romantic love. But then there's one other kind of love. And this is the kind that is spoken of most commonly in the New Testament. It is the word agape. Agape. And what does agape mean? Agape is a universal and unconditional love, eternal love. It's a word that describes the love of God to man. And in a sense, the love of God through man. Back, reciprocating back to God and out to the world. Agape is not a passive love. Agape in the sense of the Greek word is, as it were, love in action. Love expressed 
in action. In fact, I believe that's the reason why in the King James Bible, you will read many times the word agape is translated as charity, love in action. Now, of course, the word charity today, you can have charity without having love. And so it's, maybe it's not a perfect translation, but it's, it's a love in action. Paul writes these familiar words in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 13. Now abide faith, hope, and love. Love there is the word agape. It's not eros. It's not phileo. It's not any of these other words. It is agape. Unconditional, eternal, and universal love. The love that only comes from God. We see, as it were, a progression here. First faith, then hope, and finally culminating in the highest form, which is love. He says the greatest of these is love. But is Paul the only one to make this observation, to make this statement? No. Turn with me to Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. We know this passage actually as uh, Peter's ladder, uh, because it talks about all these different attributes, and it's not the same as 1 Corinthians 13, but I want to see if you can notice some similarities. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Notice that it starts with faith. Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance. Now, what is perseverance? Does perseverance mean sticking to something through hard times? Can you see a parallel between that word perseverance and the word hope? Having an assurance of the future that gives us the, the perseverance to stick through hard times. So faith and then virtue, knowledge, self-control, and perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. Now, it's very interesting when you go back to the Greek, that word brotherly kindness is actually the word Philadelphia. That is the phileo. That is the the kind of human affection that we have one for another as friends. But it does not stop with brotherly kindness. It does not stop there because there in verse 7, and to brotherly kindness, love, agape. We go from faith to perseverance, to brotherly love, and finally to agape, which is universal and unconditional love. For if these things are in you and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul describes the relationship between faith, hope, and love in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith. Notice the word faith there. We've been justified by faith. We have access by faith unto his grace in which we stand. And rejoice in what? Rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Notice perseverance and and hope go together. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. 
So we have faith. And what does faith do? It just, it, having been justified, faith gives us forgiveness. Faith connects us to God. And then through that we can have hope for the future. And in verse 5, Now hope does not disappoint, because the love, that is the word agape there, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Faith, hope, but finally love. But my friends, I ask you, like I asked you last week, how do we get hope? I'm going to ask you this, how do we get love? How do we get agape love? I can figure out how to get the other kinds of love, but they don't last. It's not enough. It's not enough for me to have phileo or eros or storge. It's not enough. I want to have agape love. How can I get that? Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Friends, I want to submit to you today that just like grace is a gift, grace is unmerited favor, in the same way, love is a gift from God. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. That is the word agape. It doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit are. It says the fruit of the Spirit, singular, is love. But then it goes on to define love and the results of love. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such, there is no law. It's the same progression, but in this time we have it turned backwards because as Paul sees it here, Love is the root. Love is the beginning out of which all of the other fruit springs. Jesus says in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, A new commandment I give to you, that you love, agape, love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this will all know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. My friends, we cannot manufacture agape love within our hearts. We cannot conjure it up. It only comes as a gift from God. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. And because of his love to me, when I truly accept that love, it flows into my heart so fast and so rapidly and so strongly that I cannot help but allow it to flow out to the others around me. That is the gift of God's love. And what is the greatest evidence that we are followers of Christ? Jesus says, By this we'll all know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. It is, as it were, as though love, true love, were the litmus test of Christianity. And I won't ask you, my friends, how many Christians might fail that test. But how do we bear the fruit of love? How can we go about bearing this fruit? John chapter 15 and verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. 
for without me, you can do nothing. My friends, I'm repeating this over and over again because this is the crux of the point of this message. And that is that we cannot be loving within ourselves. I can't tell you, you better love a little bit more. That's not going to work. It's only as we have that connection with Christ, as we realize the reality of his love in our lives, that we can even begin to love our fellow man. Jesus says in John 15, verses 9 through 13, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. My friends, the kind of love that we're talking about here is not a cotton candy, everybody feels good kind of love. This is a love that is a principle. It is the principle of keeping God's commandments because really love is at the heart of his law. These things, Jesus says, I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you, that your joy may be full. This is my commandment. One commandment. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You know, in just a a few months, Christina and I are going to be celebrating our 10th wedding anniversary. Every so often, you know, Christina and I, even just the other day, we ask each other, aren't we still on our honeymoon? (laughs) And, uh, of course, we're still in love. But if you want to know the secret, when our relationship was just starting, we learned very quickly that we could not base our relationship upon our own love or our own feelings for each other. In fact, I would submit to you that our relationship probably should have ended a number of times many years ago, except for one fact. And that is the fact that it was not based upon storge or phileo or even eros, but that we learned that any relationship has to be based on agape. That is, it has to be based on God's love flowing through us, whether or not we feel it in the moment. And only as we can day by day experience that love and embrace that love can we truly have love for each other. Even on the days when I don't feel the butterflies in my stomach, those are the days that I can depend on God's love. And he has shown his love to us. Of course, we're human. We're, we're still learning. We still make mistakes. But I have to submit to you that God has shown me a picture of his love through her like I have never seen before. And my question to you, friends, today, if God can do that for us, do you suppose he could do that for you in your life? If you're married, what do you suppose he can do for you in your marriage? What do you suppose God can do for us in our church? What would it look like if each and every one of us experienced agape love from God and through us allowed God to show that agape love to one another? How important is love? Is love an optional accessory to the Christian life? Or is love, as it were, the central piece of the Christian life? Paul speaks of this and gives us the answer in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 
In fact, I believe all of you could probably say this with me. So I won't read the chapter to you, but I actually want to paraphrase it a little bit. This is Daniel's 2018 version of 1 Corinthians 13. I could be the most eloquent preacher in the world, but if I don't have love in my heart, I'm no better than a noisemaker, like a trumpet or a gong. Even if I receive special messages from God, even if I get my doctorate in divinity, even if mighty miracles happen in answer to my prayers, if I don't have love, my life is worthless. If I sell my house and my car and put every penny in the offering plate, yes, even if I were to die a martyr's death, if I don't love my brothers and my sisters, it won't do me any good in eternity. Love is patient with others over and over and over again. Love treats others with respect, the way they would want to be treated. Love doesn't desire what other people have or look down on them because they're better off than I am. The one who loves doesn't go around boasting about his love because love is humble, the total opposite of pride. Love isn't offensive or impolite. It doesn't barge in where it isn't welcome. Love is the opposite of selfishness. It doesn't look to benefit itself, but it looks out for the benefit of others. Love doesn't allow circumstances to make one upset or angry. Love doesn't surmise evil about others, but always thinks the best of others. Love doesn't take pleasure in wrongdoing. Instead, love takes pleasure in doing what is right. Love covers over the faults of others. Love trusts others and believes what it hears. Love always looks forward to a better future. And love is brave whenever hard times come. Love will never let you down. Prophets and teachers may grow old and die. The eloquent speaker may soon be silent. The things we know will soon become obsolete because we only know a little and the things we know about the future we only see partially. But when we have a complete understanding, that is, when we learn to love the way God loves, then all the things we thought were important before won't be important anymore. When I was little, I talked like a little kid. I understood things the way a little kid understands them. I thought just the way other kids think. But now that I've grown up, I no longer think and talk in such an immature way. That's the way it is with our understanding of God's love. Right now, the best kind of love that we can see is like a distorted reflection in a dirty mirror. But soon, we will see God's true love clearly when we are able to look at him directly in the face. Now, I can only understand a little bit of God's love, but soon I will see his love clearly, just as clearly as you can see me here right now. The whole Christian life can be summed up in three realities, faith, hope, and love. Faith because it gives us eyes to see the unseen realities of God. Hope, 
because it assures us of the future and gives us courage to endure. But the most important of all is love. Love, because love is the essence of God's character. It's the most succinct description of who God is, and it is something we can experience right now, today. Love doesn't live in the past. It's not something we look forward to in the future. Love is, because God is, and God is love. Now abide faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. It was late, that dark night, and the weary travelers made their way down the street. They were searching, desperately searching for a room. Even if it was only a one-star motel, something to get them off the street. It would have been bad enough under any circumstances, but she was nine months pregnant, and her baby was due any day. But it was not to be. Judging by the vehicles crowded along the street and on every place of lodging, it was apparent that they weren't the only travelers in town. And as Joseph made his way from door to door, each time Mary could hardly bear to hear those words, those fateful words, no room, no room for a pregnant mother, no room for a newborn child. Well, there was plenty of room for the other guests, but for Mary and Joseph and for baby Jesus, the only room was a cattle stall, the only bed a manger filled with hay. This, my friends, is a picture of love. First John 4 and verse 10, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Jesus, God, the King of glory, chose to lay aside his royal robes in exchange for swaddling clothes. He left his heavenly throne in exchange for a bed of hay in a humble manger. He exchanged a crown of glory for a crown of thorns. He exchanged the worship of angels for the shame and death of the cross. Why did he do it? He did it for you, my friends. Because you're good? Because you're so special? Because you're so important? Or because you see you had something that he wanted? No, my friends. We didn't have anything that he wanted. We didn't even want him. He did it for love. Romans 5 and verse 8, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He came to this world and he found no room. No room in the inn and no room in our hearts. My question for you today is this. Is there room in your heart for Jesus? Like young Nicole, how many of us would run into a burning building to save a loved one, a grandparent, a spouse, a child? I dare say many of us would. But Jesus did more than that. 
He came to this world to save people who didn't even like him. The ones who cursed him, the ones who rejected him, the ones who turned him away from the inn, the ones who nailed him to the cross. Yes, those, us. We are the ones he came to save. My question for you, is there room in your heart for his love? Loving Father in heaven, Lord, you have shown us your love in more ways than we can possibly imagine. And yet so many times we have rejected you. But today, Lord Jesus, we pray, yes, O oh, come to my heart, Lord Jesus, there is room in our hearts for thee. This is our prayer. We pray that you will go with each one, that we may go from this place with your love. In Jesus' name, amen.